Welcome to the Music Licensing Podcast. I'm your co-host, Sonnet Simmons. And I'm John Kleinbaum. Each week we sit down with top professionals in the sync world to discuss their experiences and offer inside insights on what it takes to play song to picture. From music supervisors to ad agency executives, from trailer houses to indie artists racking up licenses with their music, we'll be talking to all of the people who make the sync magic happen. Music is the backbone of a successful film or TV show. It's all about finding the right fit for the right song for the right moment. I think the key to success in music licensing is really building relationships. If you're passionate about music and the business behind making compelling media, this is the podcast for you. Join us each week as we dive into the fascinating world of sync and explore it with the people it takes to make it all click. The Music Licensing Podcast, where business meets the art of storytelling in media. If you love our podcast, please consider being a patron for $3 a month. It will get you inside scoops behind the scenes, early access to some of the episodes, and helps keep the lights on over here for the podcast. All you have to do is go to musiclicensingpodcast.com and you can donate $3 a month and you are a patron. Thanks so much. So this week, we have the pleasure of sharing with you an interview with Eddie Wool. He's going to bring it to you real. He's one of the hardest working people that I know in the music industry. He really seizes opportunities, builds really great relationships in the music industry, works under a lot of pressure, and has that work has just resulted in so many placements, Emmy Awards, and just a constant stream of work that he just loves to do. So for anybody out there who loves work and loves seeing results from their work, this is going to be an interview you do not want to miss. Let's just jump right into it. All right, let's get this going. Eddie, welcome to the show. You're a six-time Emmy award-winning composer, producer, and songwriter. Maybe you can give our listeners an overview of who you are, what you do, and maybe a little background on how you became a powerful player in sync. Um. I mean, I started out, you know, as a guy in the band, got a few record deals, went from there to producing records, produced a bunch of bands, uh, a lot of hard rock metal bands, Anthrax, Fuel, Monty Soul, El Nino, and then went from there to Sync. Got into Sync about 15 years ago, started doing a lot of uh, custom promos to picture and building library tracks. So been really focused more on, on Sync for like, at this point, like 15, 16 years. But I, you know, I still produce too. Awesome. Amazing. So, Go ahead. Oh, yeah. I was going to ask, what's the biggest difference between composing music for TV and film versus producing rock music, for example? Well, the, the, the cool thing, the, the reason why I actually like sync is because you really live and die by your own talent. Whereas if you're producing a band or an artist, you know, you still have to work within the, the, you know, within their brand and what they do. And like, you can make the best record in the world for an artist. And then the artist does a showcase for like a booking agency and the whole label's there. And they tell the record label executive that they're a horrible person. And all of a sudden they get dropped. And then your record gets dropped that you worked really hard on. And it's like, it had nothing to do with you. So it's like, Mm. you're really like, I mean, none of the music business is fully in your control, but at least the aspect of it, if, if I write a track and people like what I do, 
then that's great. At least it's on me. And if they don't like what I do, I'm cool with that. Cause at least that's on me too. You know, wow. it's really, it's, it's really hard when you, when somebody else is, when it's their brand, they're the artist and they make a weird career choice. That's not even a musical career choice. And it completely messes up what you did. Mm. That's such an, uh, you know, I don't think a lot of people think about it quite like that. You know, it's like sync really puts you in the driver's seat. Like, obviously you don't have control, as you said about like the music industry is, you just can never control anything, but you can control how you show up and the music you're making and that you are making the decisions and you decide where the music goes. And I, I think that's such a powerful uh, delineation to make. I really, really love that. And it gives you so much more like you're going to put the time and energy in like then you can see it all the way to the end to see those successes that you see over and over again um and then when you you also talked about so you've been in sync for the last 15 years focus in on libraries can you talk a little bit about like how that process works so what what does that mean for somebody who's like oh well you know where where does that fall in the world of sync well I mean, when I first when I first got into sync, I got into it because bands that I was producing, the record labels would hire me to do remixes for the bands I was producing since I already had the tracks like for me to take the vocal track and to do a remix like I already had the vocal track because I cut it, you know. So I started doing these remixes for the labels and they were getting into like really big things like Resident Evil, like the movie and uh need for speed and video games and all these all this stuff like fast and the furious so i'm like well i'm getting paid a good amount of money to do a remix but the artist has all the publishing i'm like i'm just using their vocal track like i could just get another vocal track and i'm gonna be the artist so that's what really made me really open the doors to sync and then when i first started in sync i was like well i don't even know how all this works but I was like, until I can figure out how it works, I'm going to create as much music as I can and I'll figure out what to do with it. You know, my day job was still producing records. I was actually producing the band Fuel when I really made one, one of my major transitions into producing or into um, composing where I produced the band from like 10 o'clock in the morning to like 8 o'clock at night and then compose music from like 9 o'clock at night until like 2 o'clock in the morning and just, oh my gosh. And just keep, you know, plug you away and i never wanted to say to the band oh i'm really tired because i was up all night writing music i'd always be like oh yeah everything's good you know so i i started amassing this large amount of music and then little by little very organically i started hearing about music libraries i met this rapper i was mixing his stuff and I, he's like oh, i gotta go work tomorrow i'm like what do you do he's like oh i do metadata at a music library it's like oh that's interesting and I, that he's, I played him some of my stuff. I was like, would your boss love this? He's like, my boss would flip over this, hook me up with his boss. And I've been writing tracks for his boss for 15 years. Wow. I'm one of my good friends now. And then it just turned out that another one of my friends, one of my friends I grew up with, he had another friend that owned this big video editing facility. And they thought like, okay, we can put our music in the things that we're editing. So my buddy's like, would you write music for us? You know, now that you're doing this production music stuff. So I was like, sure. So I started with his company when they didn't even have a company. 
writing music for him and his partner. I was their first composer. Did a whole bunch of stuff through there. Scored the the uh, my first custom thing I ever did. Didn't even realize it was going to be a custom thing. Was scoring the opening for the playoffs for the NBA in maybe two thousand and I don't know what it was seven two thousand eight, <laughs> which was my first. That was like one of the first like library things I ever did, and it got a huge placement. And then when you start writing for libraries and you start. You know, I start researching. I start looking at, at one time, like Variety magazine had an article on like best music libraries. So I got all the names in my head and I'm like, okay, that's that's the goal. Those libraries are the goal. And some of them I realized, you know, when I look deeper into them that like, oh, that's like a trailer house. Okay, this and that. And started figuring out what they did, fi- figure out the names. So at least I knew what my goal was. And then while that was happening, one of my wife's had a childhood boyfriend that stopped by our house because he was in the neighborhood. This is like her sixth grade boyfriend. Oh my god! And he's like, he's like, oh, you're writing music for for a film. He goes, I'm. I just made these like five short films. Would you score them? And I'm like, sure, I'll score them. They're all like four minutes each. They were these little like weird psychedelic things, and. He's like, I have almost no money. I was like, I don't care. I'll do it. He's a cool guy, you know? So I scored his five things. He flipped out. He's like, dude, I've been playing for everybody. They're flipping out. He goes, every, this guy was an editor for a living. He goes, every time I go to a production company, I'm going to tell them to fire their guy and hire you. And one day, like a couple of years later, I get a phone call from a production house. And they're like, dude, we have this big presentation at Paramount TV tomorrow, CBS. Our composer dropped the ball. He didn't give us what we need. We need this scored right now. Can you do it? Literally, a Judge Judy promo, a Rachel Ray promo. Um, actually, it's a series of Judge Judy promos. I didn't even know at that time how to import video into my DAW. Oh, my gosh. Wow. So I was like, of course I could do it. I figured out how to do it. I handed in the tracks the next day, three promos. They loved them. And... I became their custom music department for about 12 years. That's why I won all my Emmys with them. Um, I scored probably, I don't know, a hundred promos to picture, like between Judge Judy, Dr. Phil, Entertainment Tonight, Inside Edition, Today in New York, um, five or six NBC affiliates. He took a break during COVID, but he's coming back. He's back now. I'm scoring for him again. And then I got, so good at custom scoring. And when I started winning awards, then, you know, I started meeting more and more libraries, going to events, meeting people, you know, living in LA helps. I had other friends that were getting into production music. So I would have them write with me and introduce them to my guys. And they'd have me write with them and introduce me to their guys. So before you knew it, I knew all these guys. And a lot of these people that worked at libraries, they'd be like, Hey, we, we got this custom gig that they want you to score this thing to picture. Say, so I see that, you know, you have a lot of credits to that. Would you do it? So before I knew it, a lot of the libraries were throwing me all that custom work to the point that a library threw me custom work with scoring TV shows for Discovery Plus. Full three episode, one hour each, multi-series TV shows. And I've done quite a few of those at this point. And honestly, I never would have known how to do it if I didn't score so many promos. I got used to, you know, I got used to looking at 
a 15 second promo and seeing three different musical changes in it scenes. Whereas the, yeah, I got very used to scoring 60 thirties and 15s, but you know, there's definitely an art to that stuff that the people don't realize because people tell stories with picture. And sometimes, you know, in 15 seconds, you can, you can start with three different moods in that 15 seconds. So, wow. you know, and, so the library thing has always been like the custom thing has always been more of my focus, but I like to work. I, I don't like to have loads of free time. I like to work. So if I don't have a lot of custom stuff, a lot of times I will pick up lots of library work. So even though libraries aren't my primary focus, I have over 3000 tracks out there with libraries. Wow. It's amazing. It, in terms of, I was going to ask a question of like, what are the rewards of working with different genres of music and different types of projects? I mean, it sounds like you're already, uh, you've already described what can happen when you just show up, do the job that you're asked to do, do it well, and then just naturally organically allow the process to unfold in terms of meeting the people that are along the lines that you're already going down. And how cool is that? That whole thing where he shows up has like four or five different things that need music and you're like, sure, I'll do it. And then it ends up in a way like kind of really kickstarting the entire thing. How cool is that uh, in terms of something for everybody uh, in our listenership to, to learn from uh, as far as like some of the, because you work in so many different, you obviously have a heavy rock background, but you work in so many different styles of music. What are some of the challenges in terms of creating these different types of content? Are there certain projects where you're like, Oh, I don't know if I can do that. So I'm going to probably pass on that and kind of stick to what uh, it no. is that I, Eddie I said do best. Yes. Or do you just say yes I to say everything yes. and you and you I say yes, I know what I don't know. And I, I happen to think one of my best talents is analyzing music. So to me, like years ago, okay, another thing that happened right around the time I started scoring for the promo company was I got approached by this TV show called The Place in the Sun. And it's just this girl that my wife actually had known from back in her Britney days that hosted a TV show that um that they went around different parts of the world and found real estate markets that were good to buy in. So let's say you wouldn't really know in France, this section of France is a great real estate investment. So this girl is called a place in the sun. She went around Europe and showed you real estate areas and she wanted authentic music from each area she went into. Wow. And she was like in Turkey. She was like in Egypt. She was like all over the world. Mm. So she's like, can you do that? And I'm like, of course I can. Although having no, I was like, can you send me or, or just a list of the places you're going to go? And I researched what is traditional music sound like in Turkey and wrote down, okay, Oud, Balaika, you know, whatever, whatever those things are, wrote them all down, you know, percussion instrument that's high pitch and, and, then went and found what I needed to find and created all the music for the TV show in different regions. And what got really crazy or a really cool thing about it. Can you still hear me? A cool yeah. thing about yeah. it is that I got to actually, I composed the music and got to keep the rights to the music a hundred percent. So I later put that with a library and I still get royalties on it because 
you know, every once in a while you need some weird like Middle Eastern track or something for some scene. And I have loads of music like that from, you know, gypsy music to traditional Italian wedding music to polkas, all kinds of stuff that you listen to. You'd be like, you did this? But, you know, and then um, my manager, who's who's a really big music supervisor, um, hooked me up with a director that does traditional um, Mexican movies. And I'm doing like traditional. If I played you some of this stuff, you'd never believe it. Wow. Traditional, traditional stripped down like Vonda. And I got myself um, a co-writer who is amazing in that world. He comes from that world. He tells me if it's authentic or not. He writes all the lyrics and melodies. We talk about the concept of the song. And then he writes the concept and then translates it to me, make sure that it's the right concept. And I send the tracks off to him. He sends the tracks back to me. He's amazing. He sings very authentically in Spanish and he can sing in, um, he can do impressions. So he's a fairly young guy, but I'm like, sing this like a 70 year old guy, you know, and he'll amazing. do it. Yeah. He, he's, he's the main guy at the voice that trains everybody to sing in different languages. He's oh, amazing. Wow. So I, I've learned how to surround myself with people that either know what I don't know or are reliable and can do stuff for me. Because if I have an unlimited amount of stuff, I can't, I can't finish all of it. So if I, if I have a bunch of tracks and you know, there's some money involved I, I can always call up somebody and say, Hey, I got 20 tracks at this price. Do you want to co-write them with me? You do this. I'll do that. I'll do that. And I'll pay you. And I can usually, so I can really get my output even more by mm. teaming up with people. That's the wow. main reason I team up with people. It's not, um, I mean, sometimes it's like, oh, I love your voice. I love what you do. Let's write a song. But usually I don't have time for that kind of stuff. It's more like, hey, I need these kind of tracks. I know you're really good at it. Are you interested? Mm -hmm. Because I want to, I don't want to, what I call leave money on the table. I don't want to pass up an offer. So I, I make it work in a, wow. in a different way. But well, yeah, I mean, I did the, the guy that I was saying, the, the rapper kid that hooked me up with his boss. I wrote for him for like four or five years, pop tracks and investigative tracks and all kinds of music. And one day he called me up after I'd known him for five years, called me up out of the blue and said, hey, I got this really weird request. I, I don't even know if it's if it's in your wheel, wheelhouse, but. He goes, I, I, I figured I'd throw it your way. And I'm like, what's that? He's like, um, he's like, I need like a metal record, like just metal. He goes, do you do that? Do you know anybody who does metal? I was like, dude, that's my main thing. He's like, really? You didn't even like, know. Yeah. <laughs> he had no idea because I guess I was authentic enough that everything else I did that he didn't even know I did metal. He wasn't even asked me to do the project because he never heard me do anything guitar based. Wow. Eddie, I feel like, well, there's so many things. There's so many questions and there's so many comments. First of all, obviously you're insanely talented and your work ethic and your ability to just like say yes and do the research and show up. Like, obviously you know that, but like, it's just such a, to highlight that. I think that's one of the things that, that 
we miss as creatives. It it takes both sides. You can't just be talented. You have to say, yes, you have to figure out how to finish a project. You have to figure out how to be like the yes person. Like go to Eddie, he's going to knock it out of the park every single time. And if he doesn't know it, he will figure it out. And those are the kind of like attributes that keep you like crushing it. And it's a, it's in, in, incredibly impressive and also inspiring, I think, to other people who are creatives to be like, oh, that's what it takes. Like, that's how I need to keep showing up. Like, that's what it takes. Um, and then as a question to follow up to that, you have commented on creating custom work, libraries, and then we also talk a lot um, you know, in our world around like sync libraries, like individual song sync libraries. Can you break down or give like a quick little overview and however it might relate to a story on like how these differ? Because some people are like, do I want my songs in libraries? Do I want it in a sync library? Well, like maybe I want to do custom stuff. Maybe they can do it all. But how can you kind of like um, maybe compartmentalize them a little bit so that people can understand um, what they are? Well, the, the sync library, I mean, um, the custom stuff, when, when I'm doing custom stuff, it's hard to explain. It, it's, it's always to picture. So mm -hmm. they'll send me picture. It's not, it's, it's sometimes they'll be like, oh, you know, we looked through a library and found one of your tracks and want, want you to modify it. But that's on the much rarer end of the spectrum where I'm modifying an actual existing track. It's usually, um, like I was just telling John, like I just did a, I just did a promo for, uh, for the opening for the NFL and they sent me the thing on Friday. They sent me the picture on Friday and it, it had to be on TV on Sunday. And it was, wow. and th that's always a big responsibility. And, you know, especially when I take the gig, I'm not entirely sure what they're looking for. They mm -hmm. just tell me I got a gig, I got a promo. Can you get it done? What's it like? Oh, it's probably orchestral. Okay, cool. But, but, um, writing for library stuff, I'm always writing with like a picture in my head. Mm. So I have, I have like little things I try to put in library music, like my own little rules, even mm. though there are no rules, but my own little rules have been successful for me for what I find useful in a sync track and what a sync track has that, um, makes it, um, popular, uh, usable. So writing for library stuff, I'm writing more just in the wind. For for sync stuff, um, I almost never do briefs where I have to pitch. Mm. Like I like I'll ask when they call me up for like the NFL. I'm like, are you is this a pitch? Or are you giving this? And they're like, no, no, you're the only one that's doing this. Mm. And it's like, okay, no pressure. <laughs> but um, <laughs> so it's very rare that I'll get a brief and I'll actually do it. Mm -hmm. unless there's some kind of upfront fee because they don't seem real to me without that, where it's mm -hmm. like, I get a brief from a library that says we're looking for an open for CBS golf. And it's, it's blah, 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 blah. And it's a pitch and there's no, there's no creation fee. Um, so the biggest difference writing for library stuff is every library track I do is already bespoken for. I don't just write library music anymore and find a place for it. I have a company call me up and say, hey, we need 10 songs of this kind of thing. Here's the mm. deadline. Here's the money. Are you interested? So they're telling me what the 10 songs are. 
mm-hmm. genre wise. Um, back in the day, I used to just write what I heard on TV and I watched t- TV. There's a TV in my studio on 24 hours a day. There's a TV running right now in my studio with the sound off and the closed caption on so I can follow what's going on. And a lot of times I'll randomly just turn it on during commercials to see what the music sounds like. But I, I watch TV 24 hours a day in my studio. Um, I have to because it also takes my head away from just looking at a computer and I need mm-hmm. to be connected to the outside world because I work a lot. But I mean, I think to answer your question, the biggest difference is when I first started writing library music, I was like, oh, when I watch football, these are the kind of tracks that are on football. So I started writing a bunch of those tracks. And then like, oh, when I watch Dateline, these are the kind of tracks that are on Dateline. So I started writing those. It's just about analyzing what you're seeing on TV and writing them. So it went from that to specifically people asking me for tracks. And then custom music is very specific because not only do I have to write within the genre, but then I have to hit the points, hit the transitions, hit the marks and literally score the picture, which is why they're hiring me than just an editor taking stems and trying to move them around. Mm. Yeah, this is, uh, you know, what you're talking about, Eddie, it's just it's when I hear your story. It's like the opportunity follows more opportunity. Trust builds more trust between you and the people that you work with. And then you almost become like Mr. Wolf in Pulp Fiction. Like you're the guy that people turn to when those emergency situations come up. And it's a lot of pressure, it sounds like to me. I was wondering, because this is one thing I marvel at when you talk about just how much work you put in. How do you keep a good mindset and how do you keep your batteries charged when you're doing all of this kind of all the time. I wanted to take a quick break. If you guys are looking for more information on music licensing, on live events, on our private sync community, please come on over to twoindie.com. We put on live events every year. We have a private sync community. We have a free 90-minute boot camp that covers everything that you need to know about music licensing. It really gives you that jump start that you might be looking for. If you're looking for more resources, more education, more events to get involved in, please come on over to twoindie.com. Okay, and now back to the episode. I don't know. I mean, honestly, you know, sometimes I'll take a gig and be like, oh my God, did I just take that gig? How am I going to get this done? I don't know what I'm doing. And then once I get past that, I'm like, uh, this is what I do. I mean, it's what I do. It's it's how I, it's not, it's not an option. It's what I do. I you know, love that. Figure it out. <laughs> I love that. It it's just like out. this is this is naturally who I am. This is and and isn't that that's got to feel really freaking good, right? To to feel I, that I that's don't really like think about now that you say it, it feels good, but I don't really think about it honestly. <laughs> I just think about what I got to do for that day and how I'm gonna right. get it done. And I have my this is what I have to get done today. I look at my calendar and I'm like, in order to do everything, I have this at nine o'clock. Then it's this I got to jump on at this time and then that and then I got to get my kid and I could come back and by the time I go to bed tonight I need these tracks done I need this done I need to call this guy and just know what's going on from day to day honestly I don't even think about it you know every once in a while I'll look at my life and look at everything around me and go oh my god like music actually got me all this stuff like how did this happen like like you know but I honestly don't even think about it I never mm. think about it I think about it more when people point it out but it's almost like you're stuff. just you're just yeah. like no excuses. You're this is going. getting done today. I have this and this and this to get done, and it's getting done. No exceptions. Yeah, it's like anything else. It's like when you were in school, and you know, 
you had homework due the next day. It's like you did the homework, you know, it's, it's what you got to do. And I find out, you know, I figure out that if I start getting behind schedule, I just don't get anything done. So it's like, mm-hmm. I have to, I don't even think about like, what am I getting done for this year? It's more about what do I get to get done today? Mm-hmm. What do I get get done tomorrow? I know I'm not going to be, be able to work on Monday and Tuesday because I'm doing this. So I got to hand something in on Wednesday. So I'm going to have to get it done on Sunday. Else I'll never get it done on Wednesday. Everything to me is, it's almost like day by day. I just, every day, just, I know what I need to do. I know what mm-hmm. I need to get done and just keep moving and you know don't really think about it but i mean the lots of times you go to bed at night and you're like oh my god how am i going to get that done and then you just think ah, I, got, I got it i always get it done it always works out it'll work out mm-hmm. you know even like that football thing i just did you know because at first they asked me if i do it on monday and then they said we'll have pictures sometime by the afternoon thursday and they're like, do you want to work on it before then? And I'm like, well, I can't really work on it before then. I said, the one thing I can do is I'll put a template together because at least I know it's going to be sound design and orchestral stuff. But besides that, I can't really do anything else until I see picture. And then they the picture done. It's like five o'clock on Friday. Wow. And I'm like, is this still happening? Like, did they just, are you just going to go with some kind of needle drop, like some kind of library track because you're out of time? They're like, no. And I'm like, okay. So I did it Friday night, handed in Saturday morning, got revisions Saturday afternoon, and it aired Sunday. But, wow. you know, I, I always think in the back of my mind, like, can I really do this? Like, oh, my God, am I going to let everybody down? Like, but then you just start doing it. It's like anything else, like getting in the pool. You know, you look in the pool and you're like, ah, it looks cold. Am I really going to get in the pool? And then you're in the pool and you're like, hey, this is great. <laughs> yeah these are big these are like it applies to life life lessons here it's true it's like when you stop and you look you're like oh what am i doing and then you actually you just like do it one step at a time just get it done and it gets done yeah i mean usually a big help for me is the door that i work in digital performer has like a note section mm. so a lot of times when i start framing out a thing i'll write down a whole bunch of notes faster than i can compose I can write down, put a hit on 22, use the dragon hit on 22, um, LA scoring strings in this part. This is this is double this, do that, do that, do that, put a hit here, rise this, and I'll make a whole list. I'll get it all out of my head and then I'll compose and I'll just look down the list and say, oh, it says rise wow. on 22. And I just read off my list all the, the things I wrote in my head around a very basic. Because sometimes I'll write an orchestral stuff, like literally plinking it out on a piano and get the framework of it and then translate that into what I have to do. And, you know, a a lot of times, like the first thing you got to figure out is what tempo works for this piece. Mm -hmm. Like I want to hit all these things and this picture is like almost locked. So they're not changing. And I want to be on the grid. So sometimes I have to go through tempos. Sometimes the editor will tell me, oh, I, I cut to a temp track and I'll do the temp track and it's like 110 BPM. I'm like, great. At least mm-hmm. I know that he cut to something at 110 BPM. Maybe we're doing a piece of music that has nothing to do with the temp track, but at least it's 110 BPM. So I'll know that this is what he cut to. But a lot of times these people are cutting to nothing, especially if it's quick, they're just cutting. 
So I have to start putting click tracks in the visual and saying, does this work? Sure, I could do tempo mapping at some point, but sometimes revisions hit you really fast on custom music. And if you do too much like weird tempo mapping, it makes it really hard Mm -hmm. to make them into a 60, into a 30, and a 15, and a 10, and a 5, and all kinds of stuff if the tempos are all different especially mm-hmm. with my workflow, the way I make cut downs for custom music. I do it all in the same session, all next to each other in the same session. They're not in separate sessions. So if somebody goes back and listens to the 10 and goes, hey, I'm missing that hit that you had in the 60. Can you put that hit in there? I just go grab it from the beginning of the session, put it in the end of the session. Oh yeah, it's in there now. I don't have to like open the thing in and then port the sound and figure out where it goes. All my, mm-hmm. all my variations are all in the session. Wow. And sometimes, especially when I don't agree with the um, revisions, which happens, I'll do my revisions. I'll take the whole track, copy it, and put it next to it and mute that. So I'm doing my revisions on a completely separate piece of music mm-hmm. in the same session. So if they're like, ah, you know, eh, it was better before. Can you just add one little thing? I can just go back to the other one, unmute it, and just add the one little thing. And I'm like, oh, my God, like, I did all these rides, and now it's in a different session. You know, so so wow. there's, like, definitely workflows I figured out between that and between scoring um, one-hour TV shows for Discovery Plus, where they're constantly taking out scenes from the middle of the show and putting in a different scene. Like, when I first got scored to uh, ask to score these TV shows, I'm like, well, if I'm scoring 60 minutes and there's a scene in the middle of it that goes from 21 minutes to 23 minutes and they take that scene out and they put in a different scene and that goes from 21 minutes to 24 minutes and move every other scene next to it. How do you do that? Hmm. And I figured it out. I stayed up at night. I stayed up late nights figuring that out because these were big budget things and people trusted me. And I had no idea how to do those kind of things. And I literally laid in bed at night figuring out how to do those things. And now I figured it out. And now it's like clockwork. Wow. I love your stories. It's just like, you really take us on the ride. And the last thing you said here, and we, you know, I commented on it, but it, it helps really illustrate like, you think, I think musicians or creatives, or we look out into the world and you think everybody else has it figured out. I'm alone on my island. I don't know how to do that. And you're you're opening up the window to be like, look, like I'm so accomplished and I didn't know how to do that. And I figured it out and I kept showing up until I figured it out. And I didn't give up until I figured it out. And look what, even now, like if something comes across your desk, you're like, I'm still gonna figure it out. And it helps to really humanize that, the experience of feeling like everybody knows, but I don't know. So I'm not going to play the game. Well, it's like the only people that are winning are the people in the arena. So you are in it and you're doing it. And obviously, you know, you're like way beyond just doing it. You're like, you know, so accomplished. Um, to backtrack just to, cause I, I feel like I can hear the listeners being like, what are those, what are those rules of Eddie's that he lives by for his music that he creates that, that work for you? And I love that you really clarified, like, these are the things that work for you. What are those rules that you kind of like play with when you're writing songs? 
or when you're well, working on music? The one thing I have to say before I even say my rules is mm -hmm. that they don't generalize to every song, to every genre of music. Oh, cool. So a lot of times they're different in different things and only when they're called for. So obviously um, you always want to have, you know, a button ending, some kind of sting ending. You know, you want to end on the root on the one of the beat, right? So you can move the edit point around. A lot of songs call for an unresolved ending somewhere in the song that sounds like the track ends where somebody actually could end the track there to go into, let's say you're going into another scene and you don't want the music to resolve. So I try to put unresolved endings in songs if they make sense. Some songs, they just don't make sense to have an unresolved ending. It sounds weird. Um, when I'm doing investigative stuff, I always try to put an unresolved ending somewhere in it. Um, for pop music, I try. It sometimes doesn't work as well. Um, I also, you know, took me a while to realize that when you're writing stuff for sync, like everything doesn't have to be cubbyhole. Like, you know, oh, the verse is eight bars and the pre-chorus is four bars and the chorus is eight bars and the re-intro is four bars. Put a fifth bar in there. Repeat something twice. And then let it ring out for two measures where it almost feels like the song ends and start up again. Mm. And always assume that every editor has ADD. That if you leave something on for more than four to eight bars and something doesn't change, they're going to get bored and turn it off, which is the last thing you want people to do. Mm -hmm. So always try to make the waveform look interesting. So when people look at it, they're like, oh, there's lots of peaks and valleys, there's hits, there's all kinds of stuff going on. I like, I did, let me listen to this track. Because before you listen to the track, you might just be looking at the tracks. So you pick out mm. tracks that look cool. They look like they've got a lot of moments in it, right? Because if you're an editor, it's great if you can take one track and use it for a whole promo, right? You don't want to have to use three different tracks. It's three times the amount of work. So I like to have the unresolved endings, then a definite resolved ending. Um, I like to have different dynamics in the song. I like to have somewhere in the song that's going to be a sting ending. Even if I introduce uh, in instruments that don't make sense for the whole rest of the track, like all of a sudden the last chorus strings come in and end in a big, da -da -da -da, but the whole track is like a synthy pop thing. I also like to make sure that there's always something playing in the mid range section. So try not to leave lead instruments on their own. So when I deliver a narrative track or whatever you want to call it, um, there's not big blank spaces in a verse where all that's playing in the verse is a lead instrument. Because then when you take out the lead instruments to make a narrative, what do you got left? Like there's so mm -hmm. many composers that write for me that will start out the track with like a high bleepy thing for eight for four bars and then come in with the drum beat and the bass. And I'm like, well, when I take out the high bleepy thing, is my song going to start? 10 seconds into the, the track. So I was like, can you just put like a mid-rangey pad, just put it in low underneath your high bleepy thing. So there's something going on there because mm -hmm. I want to make sure that there's something in the narrative version and then make sure that your narrative versions really are interesting because a lot of people are going to use them. And if they're just this like dull, boring, cut and pasted eight bar thing over and over again, nobody's going to use that. So it's like, try to try to do that so like i said a lot of my rules are different in different genres and mm -hmm. different things i'm doing and the length of my queue some libraries ask me to make a bunch of one minute tracks one and a half minute tracks sometimes it's very hard to throw an unresolved ending in a one minute track
just because the unresolved ending, I'll let it ring out for like 10 seconds in the middle of the track. Mm-hmm. So you lose a lot of real estate in there, you know? Um, so that, that's some of my, some of my things, but like I said, it's, it's all, it's all, you know, according to how it works in the track, but just remember when you're making library music that like somebody wants to use it someplace. It's not just like this track that, that you're making and throwing out in the wind. Like, like, is somebody really going to use it? Yeah. Right. You know, that's, that makes that's the whole point. <laughs> right. Right. It's not just get it done to get it done. It's like, do it and do it well and really, you know, stand out so that it can be used over and over and over again. Like that's yeah, that. And I honestly, my whole career, I've never approached any one of my gigs like, oh, this is good enough. Mm. Like whether people like my stuff or they don't like it or whatever, I put everything into it. I make every track as good as I can possibly make it. It really shows in what you've accomplished in terms of everything in sync, just hearing you articulate all the things that you're putting under the hood, under the, you know, there's a, an appearance of what your tracks look like in a library, but you've really talked about so many of the things that actually make the tracks functional in sync, it, being able to lock them to picture, making them an easy choice for the editor. And it's, uh, it's just, you know, it's remarkable stuff. This is stuff that uh, all the composers listening in should definitely be taking. It's always a work in progress. Do. If, if you listen to tracks I did five or six years ago, they might not have an unresolved ending because that's something that, you know, evolved. Like my whole cue library journey has evolved in the last 15 or 16 years. You know, like maybe maybe six or seven years ago, I started putting unresolved endings in tracks because, you know, the first library I wrote for might be like, that's a no, no, don't ever do that. And then you don't do it. And then you have another library is like, wow, you know. I wish you had an unresolved ending in this track. And I was like, well, the library told me never to do that. And they're like, no, we, we need you to do that. So it's like every library too has, everybody's different, you know, everybody's different. Like, like, you know, I know you had Derek on your thing. When I write for Derek for track distillery, I write mass amounts of uh, music for Derek for years. I have been, it's very different than anything I write for any other library because of his clients and what he needs. So, you know, every library owner at this point that I write for, they know their clients, they know their audience, so they know what they need and they might need something that completely goes against what my other buddy needs. So I always have to remember who I'm writing for and what I'm writing and what they want, because sometimes it's very different or it's actually, it's always very different. Everything Uh, about it's very different. Sounds like the opportunities are different. You show up the same in terms of just your work ethic and you're wanting to give them exactly what it is that they want. And we have uh, to work within their parameters of their business because it's their business. But you know, it's like, even when I produce bands, you know, I always said at the end of the day, your name's on the front of the cover. It doesn't say anthrax perceived by Eddie wall. It's an anthrax on the cover. My name's on the back in the small thing. This is your brand. This is your world. I'm going to make you the best that you can be within your world, but this is your, this is your gig, you know? And it's the same thing with libraries. When I do stuff for certain libraries, I have to be within what they like, you know, or their clients. Cause a lot of different libraries have very specific, different clients, 
I would love to think we're at the point where we're going to wrap things up here pretty soon. There's been a fascinating conversation about libraries, about all the things that you do to show up in the sync world and all the cool projects that you've gotten to work on as a result. And it, it sounds like it's a, it's a really fulfilling life in, in so many ways. Uh, one thing that I'd really love to hear from you because you stated to the fact that the world's always changing. Music is always changing. Sync is always changing. Kind of curious if this is something you even think about, but uh, do you have any thoughts on the future of music and sync and where it's all going? I mean, it's hard to say. It, honestly, unfortunately, it really depends on, I mean, we're at like 5% of AI right now. I don't know what it's going to be when AI is at 100%. So I don't know if if music sync 10 years from now is more about putting in the right keywords. You know, the one good thing about AI is there's still a lot of question over ownership. So, I mean, I, I don't mess with this stuff at all because it's like, if I put in the same words as you put in, which is very possible, are we going to get the same music back? Are we going to get the same lyrics back? And then who wrote that? You know, all it's going to take is some AI generated piece of music to find its way into a Super Bowl ad. And then you'll, you'll see the lawsuit come out. So it's hard to say where everything's going. I mean, there's definitely trends like for a while, the whole like swagger rocks, stomp, clap, fake band thing was like a huge trend. Everybody was in a fake band and, you know, trying to make everybody seem like they were a real artist. You know, that's definitely hit its its melting point. So it's like, you know, it's really hard to say because it's like anything else. Then people say, oh, the whole swagger rock thing's over. And then you watch a car commercial and it's swagger rock. So it's like, you know, <laughs> right, you know, but I'm, I'm noticing I'm getting a lot of I'm doing a lot of live string stuff now with live cello players and live violin players, which mm -hmm. definitely changes things a little bit because a lot of bedroom composers aren't able to cut live violins and live cellos in their facility or have gigs where they're paying there's enough money to pay the players to play or even no players that can play. So some of the more premium stuff now I'm doing has live instruments in it, mm. which um, definitely, I mean, that's been going on for a while. You know, people go to other countries and get symphonies to play, but I'm saying even just small, you know, small, uh, but it's really, it's really, you know, it's hard to say. I mean, sync, I've noticed the influx of just, being overrun by libraries in the last like five to seven years like 10 years ago like everybody knew who the players were now there's so many libraries that when i mention apm they're like oh, i've never heard of them and like wow that's like saying you never heard of sony records like you never heard of universal you know but people haven't because mm -hmm. a lot of these smaller companies need to advertise so they're like all over facebook they're all over so people think that those are the companies because that's all they hear about. They don't so hear interesting. about all wow. these huge companies. APM isn't running ads on, not that I've seen on Facebook. It's like, mm -hmm. if you know, you know. So I, 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 you know, I talk to a lot of composers about, you know, writing music where I'm a publisher through APM and they've never even heard of it. Hmm. And then I send them to the website and they're like, wow, never heard of them. Wow. <laughs> wow. I'd say 70%, 80% of newer guys that I contact to write for me have never heard of APM. I got to tell them what it is. And 
send them. I mean, all the season guys have. And most of the season guys, when I tell them 8 p.m., they're like, oh, my God, I'll do anything. I mean, it took me six years to be able to write for them. Wow. It's, you know, it's it's difficult because they are a group of labels. So, you know, but, but there are a lot of companies like that. You know, I don't know when Derek came out for Megatrax, if anybody even knew who Megatrax was. They've been a major player for like 20 something years. But they're not on Facebook with people talking about just got a placement on on, you know, uh, whatever show. Thanks to my publisher, Blah Blah Music. And it's like a cable TV show. And you never heard of Blah Blah Music. Yeah. So it's <laughs> like there's so much of that now where people mm-hmm. are, you know, daily. And I think that's great that people are happy about their wins. They, they put their, their placements on daily. I mean, I don't do that. I, I couldn't even keep up with it, honestly. And at that point, I feel like I'd be tacky doing it, writing down placements, which is sort of good because then people just don't even know that I do this, which is good because they don't ask me for stuff. Well, thanks it's for sharing right your thoughts know. on the future <laughs> of music and just on everything, Eddie. It's just a pleasure to sit here with you. and, and Yeah, it's always it fun with you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Eddie. Yeah, this is a phenomenal conversation. I appreciate you, you know, bringing us into your world, both like technically and just like from your work ethic, how you show up in the world um, day to day is also incredibly inspiring. So thanks yeah, for you got the it. time. No, nobody's ever going to care about your career as much as you do. Ah, ain't that the truth? You can't expect people to. You can't expect people to do things for you. Nobody cares. You got to do it all yourself. Eddie, how can people find you if they want to, they want to like, they want to more? They want to, they want to hire you for something. Where can they go to, to find out um, more? Facebook. They can go to my Eddie Wool doc. I think it's com, my dog bone thing, but usually all that inquiries come in as spam. Usually <laughs> a good place to contact me if they don't have my email and they're just trying to, um, contact me is just through facebook messenger i'm I'm on there plenty i mean i don't like to do business on facebook man, messenger but um if somebody contacts me and they're like oh i can we can start there very cool you know, yeah no, to wanted to give you I'm an opportunity if you wanted to wanted to share what you're up to and all that stuff if you have a you know share your social media and all that stuff uh you know Definitely, uh, everybody, be respectful out there if you're uh, reaching out to Eddie about something. I want to throw that out there as well. Thanks so much, Eddie, for joining us today on the podcast and looking forward to talking to you again in the future about yeah. all this. Yeah, thanks for having me. To be continued. Thanks, Eddie. Thanks, Eddie. I'll talk to you later. A special shout out to Daniel Lim for providing this incredible music to our podcast and Kurt Hunter, our editor. 